This is a Niche Radio podcast. For more, visit www.nicheradio.co.za. Um, okay, so I'm going to start off by saying welcome <laughs> to my <Yeah>. podcast. <laughs> welcome to the Come Join Us podcast. I've got Lawrence van der Beesthuizen who's actually chatting with us this afternoon. And um, there's always a first for everything and Lawrence has always been our first because we started our first Come Wine with us about seven years ago with Lawrence's beautiful wines from Arendsich. And we had it around a kitchen table and this evening we're doing our first podcast which we're also doing around a beautiful table at the beautiful premises of Arendsich and estate um, on the Bonnyville Road. And no, it's not Bonnyville, it's, what do you call this road? R317, Storms R317, Storms Flay Road. Oh, but it's, it's close to Bonnyville. Okay, pretty much Bonnyville, nearly right. there, yeah. So today for us is just about learning to know a little bit about the brand. So you've done a few events for us. I think we had one, obviously the first one I did at my own, and then you came to us last year as well in, in well, pretty much in Joburg. We did it with Sophisticated Chef. And now the idea is just to, we just want to chat about what's happening and what's been happening with Oren Sikh and learn a, bit, a little bit about you behind the scenes and so forth as well. I know you're a fond rider on your bike and, and a fond um, you know, athlete, I would say, <laughs> as well. <laughs> so tell us, how did you get involved in wine? I mean, I, I know it's a pretty much a wine region and Robertson is known for it, but what really stimulated you get involved with it? Well, it's, um, I think, first of all, I'm the fifth generation on farm. So yeah. uh, farming always been part of what, what I've, um, yeah, my whole life was about. I mean, mm. my, when I was uh, young, I remember my dad always used to take me on the tractor, whiffing um, to the vineyards and yes. stuff. So, yeah, we've we pretty much been cooperative farmers all the years. And, um, yeah, throughout, in high school, we were quite naughty. I remember... On a young age, we started um, getting into my dad's wine collection. Other guys will drink beer, we'll, we'll select some wine for us. And um, yeah, it just got better when I went to study. With time. Exactly. And um, yeah, I guess just um, I always loved vineyards and, and the wine side. And obviously, I uh, went to Alsenburg and afterwards. I, so. Um, went to Glencala, did some practicals there, and I'm like, seeing that, yo, the winemaking isn't actually that difficult, yeah. so <laughs> after that I went um, to America, did some practicals there, I visited Burgundy as well, and yeah, well, um, in farming these days, obviously you have to add value, and so instead of just becoming a just a farmer, I decided I'm going to make a couple of barrels of wine, <laughs> And yeah, ever since that was um, what I wanted to do. So always, yeah. yes. I can remember when you just got into it. I remember because obviously I was in Robertson with Lawrence as well at school, and he was my matric, so that means he was my senior, pretty much. And he went out of it, and then he went to study. And then at one point, I just I walked into you somewhere, and then you just started talking about wine, 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 and I loved it. I'm like, geez, he is absolutely into this now, right yeah. now, and it's fantastic. I mean, you're living your passion pretty much. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in of it, I mean, it's more, yeah, it's something that happened to be my passion. So Yeah, totally. Yeah, cool. That's awesome. And tell me, pretty much living here, what would you say is the perks of this valley? What do you, what do you love about the Robertson Valley? 
Well, the fact that I think it's it's uh, mostly generation farming, so the place is pretty quite authentic, I would say. You know, everyone knows each other. You can always knock on your neighbor's mm. door or mm. ask questions to whoever you want. Do you quite a supportive anything. area yes, as well? Yes, exactly. And, and that is what makes this place special. Mm. Uh, like I said, the, the authenticness of Robertson. Mm. And yeah, there's always, especially with the younger generation coming into the valley, I mean, the valley have changed quite a bit the last 10 years, mm. uh, looking at, you know, being quite a bulk-producing area. There's a lot of great bottled wines produced yes. lately. So, yeah, I know it's all exciting. Awesome. And the whole stigma, or pretty much, I know Robertson, most people, when they think of Robertson, it's Chardonnay Valley. That's how it normally is. But you breaking the mold, you are doing a little bit different types of varieties. And I know you've got your inspirational batch. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so when I started out making wine, I also started out um, just with a couple of barrels. Firstly, I always liked Chiraz and Chardonnay. But as I started making wine and also I started working with various producers in the valley, mm. Um, one thing I started realizing is that this area is amazingly diverse. I mean, you just on our farm alone, up beyond the slopes, you've got rocky shaly soils. Mm. We make wines of a lot of minerality and finesse. And then you go down literally like 100 meters down the slope and you'll find more calcareous clay soils. It makes more bigger rounded wines. Mm. And then you've got your high production soils like the olivial ones next to the river. So, I mean, that's just in a small space. And, and when I started going around in the valley, I actually came across various other yeah. type of soils and, and just started realizing how diverse is valleys when it comes to soil, your mm. climatical pockets. And yeah, yeah. It's just if I ask sort of how many different soils is here, you would say. Yes, that's a difficult one because if you really go scientifically yeah. and technically, uh, it's... It's like, um, I can look it up for you, we've got it, but it's definitely more than 50 different Jeez, soil types. That's um, insane. But, I mean, yeah, obviously the main soils like clay, your loamy soil, sandy soils, olivial, everything's basically here. How do you pair um, wines up, like varieties with soil? How do you do that? What really, what is the, what, what is your sort of basic, I know it can get super technical, yeah, I do. but if in a nutshell, if you would look at a soil... How would you pair it up with a variety? Well, I would say uh, I'm experiencing it is basically you can produce in with the climatical conditions we've got. I mean, we've got cool night temperatures, warm day temperatures. So the climate leads to that we can basically produce anything here. But a Chardonnay and Shaley soil will taste different. Like I said, it will have more yes. finesse and elegance yeah. versus a Chardonnay block in clay soil, mm. where it will be more structured, more rich in color. So it's sort of balanced. Uh, so so th then, then you set with a different style of Chardonnay. Yes. And, I mean, you can't say the one is better than the other one. It depends what styles. the preference yeah. of the customer is. Mm. So, yeah, it's it's something will probably... That's the exciting part. That's probably why I started the inspirational batch range is to showcase um, the diversity mm. in the Robertson Wine Valley and the different pockets inside mm. and grafting unique wines from various um, little blocks that I can actually find. Um, I mean, for instance, where I do the Grenache from, it's a site close to Langeberg Mountains and we sit with the Karwis soils. They normally... 
um, high in salts and you sit with pH levels of 6.5 to 7 and um, soils that you always have to make sure you get kind of the, the salt out of it. Um, but like I remember one winemaker once told me, do you ever braai your chops without salt or eat them without <laughs> salt on them? So I guess it, it adds to something. But um, then where that site is, for instance, you sit with very high acidic soils. Um, mm. Soils that's got a pH of 5.5. Good um, or bad? And you have to do something, you have to think completely differently again yeah. when you make the wine. And on that site, it happened to be that it's mainly Rhone varietals. Mm. And they all come out, normally it works beautifully. I mean, mm. the Grenache, natural acidity, that's just amazing. Um, the same with the Shiraz. But yeah, it would have been, um, I know Carl Uwe at Freitzig on yes. that side also produces a stunning Merlot. So that's why these things become so complicated. That's why I can't really answer your question that white wine will work Because I'm getting so confused. I mean, we've made last season 37 different single vineyard wines. That's insane. And um, in, that was in one season. And the all the, uh, a lot of, I mean, you're looking okay. at Vionir, Shana, Shiraz, Grenache, Mvedre. Yeah. Bordeaux titles like Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, um, various sites of Sauvignon Blanc, um, even Pinoir. So, you know, and you make these wines and they all, if the vineyard is in balance and you basically know when to select those specific grapes at optimal ripeness from that specific site, yes, yes. then you can make a great wine. It doesn't mm. need to be, I mean, but... On that same site, let's say where the Pinots, it, maybe you could have had Chardonnay and yes. if you knew exactly, okay, from that shaley soil, don't pick the stuff at 25, pick mm. it at 22.5, mm. that would have also probably worked. So that really gets technical um, at the end of the day. I mean, day, what right? I normally yeah. do is with my white varietals and like a, um, with reds it's a bit different because um, with red wine you don't want to select like um, various picks. I want to get as close as possible to that optimal selection so we'll do like in one or two selections we'll pick it out of the white varietals let's say shaley soil we'll pick a little bit riper than in the clay soils because yes. naturally i get a bit more um finesse and that almost acidity on the mid palate mm. so we'll do a, a, a pick at like 21.5 but on the clay soil where i need a little bit more acidity where you get more roundness you'll pick already at 19.5 so just to balance that out so you yeah. can by knowing the soil and the site you can actually kind of manipulate your pick so it still the wine is in the end of the rain balance and a nice wine so that's <laughs> amazing actually. so you can um yeah and with shira i'm looking at red wines in the area that i think is something um that i've seen late or the past three it took me probably 12 vintages to figure it out <laughs> always harvested reds in this area i thought oh they must be super ripe like a 25 bricks or 24.5 yeah. but um the past three seasons i started completely thinking completely differently and that's to do probably with a grenache vintage that happened to be selected at 22 bricks and i thought oh it's what a stuff up and eventually the wine turned out beautifully and i started picking my Bordeaux titles, even my Shirazes at more like 23 breeds. Mm. So it's almost two breeds lower than what I used to do. Mm. And the wines, they're just so much more, um, they've got, they're more exciting. They've mm. got more mm. red fruit, there's more spiciness in the wine. 
And yeah, I think that's that's just how you start learning your your area and your that's specific it. sites yeah. where you're making your wines from. I know, obviously, everyone knows about the Western Cape had a massive drought, and I know that last year was really good. I know that most people that I spoke to with had really good harvest and so forth, but this year some people were really battling, especially red wines, I know, or red grapes specifically. Did you find it? Did you see something like that? There's a bit of a change because of one year later with the drought? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I would say what the drought did to us being an area where we do have enough water, but it was, in our instance, we haven't had good quality water. They were very high in um, almost salt content, you can say, mm. and that doesn't work really very well with Karwis soil. So it was fine within the season when it was dry for us. Mm. We still mm. had water because we can add some from the Breed River, um, but it had a very negative effect on the season after, like in this season 2019. I could really see the vineyard struggling and the best thing that could have happened was the 97 mils of rain that we had within two days this season. Just that was after. insane, yeah, I know. And you could see the vineyards of, um, you know, they kind of giving new growth again yeah. and they're happy. So. Yeah, I guess it's it's definitely definitely at production wise also a big mm, impact. I mean, you it can see. Goes. But then again, then at least it gives us the opportunity to put our price points. On. <laughs> <laughs> so. Talking about price points, actually, what would you say was was wine markets at the moment? Is people drinking more wine, less wine? What are they doing? Uh, what is in your perspective? What do you think? What's happening? Well, I definitely think people are more getting into wine and. Especially seeing a lot of wine bars opening up, totally, people yeah. coming off to work, having a glass of wine. It's kind of as if there's a, hopefully we're finally starting to get like a culture of, of um, people that wants to drink wine and mm. enjoy it. Um, I mean, looking at the beer scene, that kind of craft beer scene, yes. and it's as if, I'm just looking at our group of friends, yes. we're drinking less craft beers, we're back on the castle lights <laughs> just for one or two, and then we're on to the wine. Yeah. But the art, uh, whiskey and brain is also not too bad afterwards. Um, uh, yeah, so I mean, there's trends, but I see wine always being like, you know, especially in our group of mm. friends, definitely. The millennials, the key, pretty much. Yeah. Key, key, key um, drinking um, product. I mean, if you look mm. at the generation before us, my parents and so on, I mean, they weren't, they, they drank wine, but it wasn't like. As we, we we actually also quite picky in a way. We more quality <laughs> you know, controlled. You, I personally like say, to, if um, I look at it. it, it's about quality, and enjoying craft wines, mm. something different, mm. um, not just sticking to one brand mm. in a way. You know, you like to experiment. Yeah, and, yeah totally. And and so so definitely, I think that's been positive for the wine market. Mm. But then also an insight, the new generation in winemaking. There's also people that likes to experiment this. I mean, the Swart like They don't easy lot. stick to one brand, 100%. Yeah, but, they like to experiment. Yeah, but also if you look at winemakers stylistically, if you look at the Swartland when they started the whole revolution, they kind yeah. of, for me, did fantastic for the industry because everyone started thinking more creative mm. in a way and gave the industry a little bit of a shake and totally. and that's cool because if you go on t into a wine shop in Cape Town like a Caroline's or a Wine Concepts, I mean it's very hard to choose a bottle of wine because each wine so artistically made if you look at the yes. bottle, the label and there's some great varietals. Especially I mean. the Swartland wines. I've yeah, seen but I mean, the you most interesting labels and things of yeah, that time. Yeah, but, but then again the rest in the market followed. Yes. And uh, 
what is exciting also to see is stylistically it's as if we all i mean if you get the alcohol levels and the back levels of the wines are all like 13.5 12.5 so it's no it's actually for me where we've always used to be like 14.5 15 oh, so percent okay. so we, we happen to i think as an industry we followed the new world way in winemaking okay but nowadays it's as if we're going more back to old way of wine or more old world but South Africa, I can see, is finding their own thumbprint in between the two stars. Okay. And we're starting to really get into our own identity and crafting something unique that's exciting for the people, um, you know, outside that needs to experiment with South African wines. Fantastic. So, but talking about experimenting, so exporting, okay. So you export if sort of how much, if I may ask? We export about probably 60% of the okay. wine. Mostly Europe, I presume? Or Europe, Europe takes a fair amount. Um, but I would say our biggest market, that's a, um, quite a new market as well, is actually America. Okay, fantastic. And then it's as if the past two years, the UK market also really came on board. That's I amazing. Think that's and mostly, if I may ask, what type of varieties are they looking at or what are they liking? Yeah, that's always interesting because you, there's the, every even in Europe, like in Switzerland versus Germany, they'll take different different, yeah. different wines. And I think it's a lot to do with what import is bringing the wines in as well. Course, so you can't yeah. really take that as a you know because this guy's only taking. They it's, do what it's they probably, like. Yeah, it's yeah. probably because mm. of his taste, and he'll bring that in. Always your main varietals like Chardonnay, Cabernet Sauvignon will always so do good. well. I mean mm. that's worldwide like that. Um, but I see like the experimental wines like, like single varietal wines like Grenache, Mouvedre, even Pinotage see really going up a notch. That's I, amazing actually. I think actually that's also because of the style. We're not making it that overripe anymore. Yes. Um, not too much wood and that's what the European that's that style of wine mm. they actually like more the elegant fruit fruit driven style exactly so it's also a stylistic thing in a way you know and what you'll actually eventually sell into that specific market do you think also the like the craftier type of styles that we've done like you've been explaining that we're more into is also helping the perception that we're not just bulk bigger better and cheap wines because I know that sometimes the, when I speak to people overseas they sometimes have a perception that our wine is cheap. You know what I'm saying? And the quality. Yeah. But then I speak to other people again and then I say, it is cheap. And then we actually realize what the quality of your wine is and what you get in return compared to other countries yes. all over the world. Looks about that. Definitely. I mean, if you look at, I, I take myself, I've been making a wine since 2004. When I started for the first time marketing into Europe and so on, I mean, the the... You, you'll see South African wines of unrecognized brands. You're standing on the shelf for like a shocking price, yeah. very cheap, and it it's obviously wasn't the greatest quality. So there was a very bad perception around South African wines, and that also kind of pulled down the price point. Yes. And But the last five years, there's a lot of artwork being done. Um, we are actually was on a way as well, you know, giving the opportunity that we can go and show in Europe. And, and and people have been starting to, uh, we, we're all traveling more mm. in trying to sell our product. So when you stand there with 20, 30 people, it's 20, 30 people knowing more about South African. Totally. Wine. 
and if you look at this there's a lot of good quality wines not necessarily per brand a lot of wine but if you stand there and you market your wine or you've got a million bottles or only a thousand bottles it's got the same impact because you're still talking to 30 people and totally. as long as the and and, and um, i mean there's so the quality level in south africa is definitely amazing as late i mean it's just it's like amazing. there's so many good wines um, like I said, it's difficult to choose a wine in a shop. The, um, even your middle range wines is pretty decent. So, um, yeah, in, in that regard, you always will be known for your masses that you yeah. produce. In South Africa, unfortunately, we did produce only Plonk wines about 15, 20 years ago that we sent it over. But now there's so many little um, bits of wine going over that adds to quite a nice large with volume and a nice, with a nice... Um, how would I say, uh, almost a quality image going out there nice. and, and, and definitely changing the perception because I mean for this first time last year even my German importer admitted and said okay no cool, they must say people are starting to talk about South Africa <laughs> wine. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, in, yeah. in a way I think it's a lot of hard work, everyone's traveling, it's, it's there's more exposure to, to, to what we produce. That's so, fantastic. Yeah. Okay, let's get a bit off the wine topic or basically first we before we go with the wine topic, sorry, we're just going to press play here. Are we still going? Yeah. Okay. Show us your bottle here. I, I know we spoke about it earlier with regards to the waxing. Tell us a little bit about the waxing and how it works. Every single thing, by the way, is hand waxed and everything. Yeah, so um, first of all, let's start with the, the label. You'll see I've got a wraparound label. The reason is when we started way back, our first just did it by hand but it was very, always difficult to space your front label with your back label okay so i thought to myself let's get a wraparound label then you can as long as this is straight then it's you don't have to space okay. anything so yes it's that's quite like clever one label that you put on and later on we got these little wooden machines that we started hand labeling them with so that worked perfectly then for a long time i used like just normal a normal capsule but for me it didn't I, at one stage five years ago i really wanted to uplift the image again of the brand so we started doing the waxing and um, i happened to do a trial in 2012 on cabernet sauvignon mm -hmm. where we did one palette without and one palette with the wax and we kept that um, and last year we actually opened the, those wines like a case of each and we we tasted and it's just amazing um, the, the, how much better quality or the better, much more fruit the wine kept with the wax versus the one without. That's amazing. So the wine with the wax definitely kept much better. Yes. But the inside, it also depends what clothes you're using inside the bottle. I okay. mean, I'm not using an 8, 9 rand cork um, because I had too many trouble, um, you know, problems with cork where you get like um, cork wines no. and stuff so I use the yum cork yeah. that's um, you know you're not going to have faults in the inside mm. but then again the yum five it's not the wine that's going to it's 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 meant to keep your wines for five years but then I counter that with the wax so an end of the raid balances out so okay. you get almost two for the price of one where you get the looks <laughs> but also Standing, it yeah. seals the wine yeah that's amazing. And and you kind of in a way create jobs because now of course you were telling <laughs> you have me to hand, 
and do those. You're telling me you do a thousand five hundred bottles on average. How many they women can, does it? They can yeah. for four ladies, but they can four possibly. Four ladies, yeah. okay. That's if 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 they're really going well in <laughs> in the middle of the week. Not on a Mondays Monday. and Fridays. <laughs> they do half probably of that. <laughs> That's funny. And you were telling me about a, a a machine as well, which they actually originally wanted to do with one yeah. of your clients, and it looked too perfect. Yeah, exactly. And. <laughs> So, so that is a bit of a problem. So we had to finish that whole um, three and a half thousand bottles that went out to the UK actually with the machine. Otherwise, I, my idea was just to do like one day's work. And eventually, actually, that machine, we ended up realizing it actually does the same amount of bottles Seriously, than what my ladies would yeah, do. Yeah, and all the jobs crash in the machine. A, well, they also have, obviously, but they send their own people on that machine. And I couldn't. We still waxed on the side. But you couldn't you couldn't put the two together because that one was too perfect. So <laughs> yeah. it looked weird. And you've got a, a special wax for every single variety as well. Yeah. This one's got this variety, everything. You must actually bring us some more of your bottles if you can yeah, see. I can. Have a look there. So you can see okay, I took four bottles out here. So the Vionier, I mean this is quite a more heavier style that I ferment on the skins as well. Mm -hmm like a orange wine kind of in a way where we clarify the juice first and then put it back on the skins okay so that's why you know it just tells me it must be like Sorry, a yellow wax, <laughs> wax it just uh, suits the flavor profile of the wine okay. where the shannon in 2018 um stylistically it's also got these nice honey tones and yeah. uh, almost like a honey cake you think of when you drink this <laughs> wine and that's why I used the, the orange yeah. And these two, the, the uh, Pinotage, it's two separate vineyards. This is from shaley soil, so that's why it's got a little whitish like dip because this uh, soil is a bit lighter. And this one is from the clay-based soil, so more darker, darker type of soil. Okay. That's why it's got the dark. I see you went two-tone, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah the well, volumes quite are quite nice. limited, so it was easy. We won't do it on the genre <laughs> that's close to 15, 60,000 bottles. Then it becomes a bit of, yeah, too much. Is Chardonnay still your biggest one? Um, I would say Chardonnay, Cabernet Sauvignon, and then the Shiraz. Yeah, okay. They, the Shiraz and Chardonnay blocks are in and... Um, Almost similar. This is a lovely shot. The Cabernet is actually the vineyard, uh, the, the biggest vineyard on the farm. That's exactly three hectares. Mm -hmm. um, because way back when I'm only focusing on single vineyard wines, for me it's important to work with a specific site and to, to really show, uh, um, so you can actually, each wine's got like an ID. You can track it back exactly from where it's coming. Totally. And it's nice to walk like a... Um, these different, you know, through every season from the same block and experiencing no. that, you know, it's not just a mingle moose, you, you kind of really start learning that specific site yeah. in terroir. And um, yeah, I mean, when I started, the maximum size of a single vineyard block was three hectares. So all my, my Shiraz, Cabernet Sauvignon and Chardonnay is three hectare vineyards. Um, but the Chardonnay, there's one part that's not growing as well anymore. That's why it's giving a little bit lower tonnage than the Cabernet Sauvignon. And with the Shiraz, I thought good to actually plant a thousand vines within, within the Shiraz block to make like the, how they do in, um, in Rhone Valley. And um, yeah, eventually I realized we're in Robertson, not in Rhone. So I was stuck <laughs> with a thousand vines and didn't go with the Shiraz because the focus was single varietals. And yeah, so with the Shiraz, and we had, I mean, in 2000, this vintage Shiraz as varietal didn't carry a lot of fruit. I mean, okay. it was such a, 
low yield vintage. I mean, I, th- I only got like 5.5 tons of hectare. That's little. Um, and the same yeah. with the Chardonnay. Chardonnay was also low yield um, okay. versus the rest of the varietals. Yeah. If you would say Lazy Sunday Lunch, choose one. Oh, these wines. Yeah. This is difficult. That's not <laughs> it's like fair. One child. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'll drink somebody else's wine of my own. <laughs> and it depends, you know, wine is, uh, there's a time and place for everyone, you know. It okay. depends what the occasion is, what you're feeling for, how no, much you've right. had the previous evening. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, is it the sunny day or cloudy day? Okay, so I'll picture so, it for you and then you need to tell me. Okay, let's say. Sunday lunch, it's October, so it's springtime, it's not yet summer, it's actually wine on the river. What would you do if you're down at wine on the river and you would... Then I'll probably start drinking more Grenache, you know, it's like a, not See, a heavy yeah. wine, um, it's oh, a variety, oh yeah, yeah fantastic, <laughs> you need that. Yeah. <laughs> so Grenache, you know, it's um, suited for, you can chill it down on a warm summer's day. But it's for me just perfect when it's like that change over from, from summer to winter. Yes. It's, just it's very interesting you say that because I have never, I've drank Grenache before, but I've tasted that one time I came to visit here. You gave me a bottle and said, don't taste this, but chill it. Mm. And then you have it. It was amazing because I normally, I struggle to drink red wine. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I love white wine. I love it, love it. And um, that Grenache was fantastic on a, very I know that you, you, you're quite outdoorsy as well. You love riding your bike, pretty much. And you did the Epic last year. Yes, yeah, last year. Definitely not this year. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but tell us how, when being in season, busy harvesting, getting to exercise, everything, how do you fit it all in? Yeah, that's why we still have to see how the 2018 vintage <laughs> came out. <laughs> but yeah, basically it was a lifetime opportunity, you just had to work it in somehow. How we've done it, I still don't know. Um, but yeah, it's just, we live in such an amazing place with various little copies and great tracks. And, yeah, that's Robinson awesome. for me is an amazing place for running, cycling. And, yeah, yeah. and I guess a Java route or something, yeah, with Yes, yeah, yes. Uh, Philip has, oh, Neil Rutif has done quite a bit of effort. Yes. There's also Corn for Union Valley that's... But they also quite, like enjoying, they also do the epic, yeah, don't they? Yeah, and they did this year um, as well, and last year. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, uh, I think, Robertson as an area, this, uh, yeah, it's, it's so well suited for that. That's fantastic, yeah. yeah. Very nice. And also, I mean, the aerial's got also a lot of great hikes and stuff yes. to do. So. Yeah, like the wine pockets. People <laughs> must come out to see the daily. Exactly. <laughs> but on that point, tell us about what are you doing, what events are you doing this year that people can come and enjoy and maybe come to you and come and have a dinner with you or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I mean, well, now the first event coming up is uh, Wacky Wine. Yes. Um, that's now in June, I think, first week of June. Yeah, first week yeah. Always, yeah. But I mean, they can obviously visit the website, Orange uh, website, everything's yes. on there as well. But then in October, we've got the one on the river. That's my favorite. Yes. I do love it. And then during the season, we, we've got hands on harvest. Yes. And also lovely, then they eat with you around yes. the table and everything yes. like that. So yeah, we did like a winemaker's braai at the river. That was Fantastic. Quite yeah. Lekker. And um, 
then Robert and Slow. Obviously, when people come out and just enjoy a lazy weekend in the valley. Okay, awesome. Also, more experiencing hands-on, you know, with, with us as producers uh, and producers so forth as well. Farm, yeah. And tell me, uh, and they can find out all of this on your Facebook pages, websites, things like that. Yeah, pretty much. We need to follow you. So. Fantastic. And people can follow you there. Um, yeah, and that, I think that pretty much sums it up for this afternoon. Uh, I know the rain is coming up <laughs> and on as well, so people can hear it. But thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. It's always wonderful being back in the Robertson Valley, and uh, we hope to be back again soon. Thanks so much. Pleasure. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or log into www.nicheradio.co.za.